sorry for the scripture mix up there. There's uh, the, the scripture that you have in your bulletin is a similar story, um, but it's much more condensed. They're not fishing and they offer Christ the fish, which is kind of nice to have both, but for, for my purposes, and we just want to read the one. So, what with all that's been going on the last several months, my brief time in Ukraine 21 years ago, this summer has been playing over and over in my mind. And there are two stories from that trip that I'd like to share with you today. The first is one of the most profound, devastating experiences of my life that will haunt me all my days. We'd been staying in the city of Zaporozhye, uh, an area currently in the thick of war with Russia. On our last morning, we got up early to catch the trolley across town to the train station. As we approached the trolley stop in the early morning light, another gentleman was already there. He was a tall, thin man, probably in his 30s or 40s, although at first glance he looked much, much older. What will haunt me? Was the look in his eyes. They were dead. He'd obviously been drinking, but it was clearly so much more than that. He'd been up all night, maybe, or crying, or... He looked defeated, tired, broken in a way you knew never could be put back together. The trolley arrived and we all got on. The car quickly filled up as we headed toward the downtown area. Morning traffic was picking up as the city began to come to life. The man stood amidst his fellow travelers, staring off into space with that same dead look. Wherever he was, he wasn't there. Several stops later, he exited. We were packed in like sardines at this point, and I found myself pushed to the very back of the car. As the trolley left the stop, I watched the troubled man stagger down the tracks away from us. Now in rush hour, the hustle and bustle of hundreds of people quickly moving perpendicular to the track through the crossing accentuated the sole man staggering down the tracks. As I watched him, I began to hear what I can only describe as ethereal accordion music. I know I don't usually consider ethereal an accordion in the same sentence, but that's what I experienced. As the man continued down the tracks, his staggering became more and more pronounced, almost comical if it wasn't so treacherous. He was weaving so severely I couldn't understand how he was still on his feet. Meanwhile, the accordion music was getting louder and louder. Just before he reached the crossing, the man finally completely lost his balance. His head violently striking one of the rails. He lay there, lifeless. And the last image I saw before the trolley turned the corner was his body lying there beside the tracks and the masses of people walking right by, never stopping, never bothering to look. The accordion music was now overwhelming, drowning out every other sound. I turned to face a blind man dressed in rags his white hair unkept, and in his hands was a beautiful, shiny, red accordion. The woman who was soliciting for him took him by the arm 
and they stepped off the trolley as a mass of commuters pushed and jockeyed their way on, and the moment was over. I have been haunted by this experience for 21 years. So many life experiences, I find ways of framing, informing me, challenging me, supporting me. This is an experience I have not been able to do that to. It just sits there, troubling. Maybe that's its purpose. And so I'm just going to move on and leave it at that. Let the reality and truth of that moment 21 years ago sit with you amidst the tragedies and truths we hear and see about in Ukraine today. Frankly, many of the same hard realities and truths that we need go no farther than our own city, our own neighborhoods to see. We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science. I used to love to go for a run, a long run. Well, long for me, not long <clears throat> for some of us. But a couple years ago now, it became clear that distance running was no longer something I can do and not end up on the ground with my back out. An MRI showed that I have two discs in my back that really can't take that kind of repetitive pounding anymore. My back can't take running, and so I can no longer run. We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science. On this May Day, also known as International Workers' Day, I feel compelled to point out that there are only so many hours in a day. There is a finite amount of time the human body can give to any job, to any cause, to any enterprise. We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science. There is only so much carbon dioxide we humans can pump into the air and still exist on this planet. We recently received a report from the United Nations that gives us three years to peak greenhouse emissions if we don't want climate disaster far beyond what we've experienced in the last couple years. Whether it's my back, whether it's our bodies, or whether it's the earth we live on, we live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science. And yet, we are a resurrection people. We believe in resurrection. We believe in practicing resurrection. The problem is that the forces and powers of this world have become savvy to this belief. The idea of resurrection has been co-opted, corrupted, and utilized for all the wrong things and all the wrong reasons, to the point that somehow, billions of people's perceptions, it can somehow stand for the antithesis, the exact opposite of Christ's resurrection. Christ calls us to love our neighbors, and the powers of this world tell us that to love some neighbors, we have to hate some other neighbors, or we have to kill some other neighbors. Christ calls us to love our Creator with all our heart and soul and mind, and the powers and forces of this world somehow convince us that we can show love through the work of our bodies and things. If we just 
buy this, if we just watch that, if we just give a little more to this institution or business, if we just gave of ourselves a little more in the right way, if we would just become a little more... We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science. And yet, so often when we humans see signs of resurrection, when we catch a glimpse of the miraculous, infinitesimal beauty and imagination of God's ways, we humans manage to find ways of putting it in boxes, packaging it up, and selling it for our own gains. And in doing so, we disregard the finite nature of our world. We disrespect its finite resources, and we disdain and scorn our creator. We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science, and we are resurrection people. And like the early followers after the resurrection, we are all over the place. We don't know what comes next. For so many followers who witnessed Christ's death in person, or even were just in Jerusalem that week, there had to be such trauma in going through that time. How is that manifested in these days after the resurrection and before the Holy Spirit? And what about Christ? How did Jesus' death traumatize the risen Christ? If he's fully human, how could such an experience not create trauma? He shows us the holes in his hands and feet. Did he have PTSD? In these brief moments with Jesus after the resurrection, how is the trauma of a horrific death on the cross manifested in these moments together? This may feel like a sad space I've created, or hard space, but I think it's important. I think it's important to fully remember, to remember the fear and uncertainty followers of Christ experienced after the resurrection, along with the joy and wonder we so often hear about. It is in honestly naming and considering the entirety of who we are and what we experience that provides an antidote to the corruptive lies of human, human ways instead of God's ways. To practice resurrection without this honesty and truth is to join the chorus of lies and deceptions that would distract us from our practice. And so even though I don't, want to do, I don't know what to do with it, I remember the man I met at a trolley stop in Zaporozhye 21 years ago. We need these points of tethering when dealing with such profound power as resurrection. So where do we start? The Apostle Peter clearly didn't know where to start. He didn't know where to turn or what to do. So he went back to the one thing he knew he did well. He went all the way back to the Sea of Tiberias, 
and began to fish. A lot is made in commentaries about Peter not getting it right again. He's not going out and fishing for people like he's supposed to be. He's going back and fishing for fish. No doubt there is an element of the Apostle Peter being the fool. But I also wonder if he wasn't going exactly where he needed to go, both for himself and for all of us. He went back to what he knew, and he found Christ there. And in finding Christ there, he found abundance, an absurd amount of fish. And then Christ served them breakfast. Christ served them breakfast. I can't imagine what that must have felt like after everything the past couple, several weeks, after feeling out of sorts and not knowing where to go, to sit and eat with the risen Christ. Peter goes back to what he knows and finds Christ there. He finds resurrection. Where do you find resurrection? How do you practice resurrection? Obviously, there are an infinite number of ways, each of us in our own way. If you start looking for it, you'll see it like manna from heaven all around. I see it all around. You need to know what a powerful example your way of practicing resurrection is to me. Those of you who help bring new life into this world, those of you that walk with our fellow humans who are suffering or who are about to leave this earth, those of you encouraging and creating new ways of being community in physical neighborhoods we occupy, those of you that build communities and connections and spaces such as labor organizing or environmental causes or interfaith organizations, those of you that help others understand the law or language, our humanity. Those of you that teach and show others how this world works and how one might navigate their place in it. Those of you who write or paint or create music or tell stories or put yourself out into this world in some way. Those of you that take in such vulnerable acts and appreciate and accept them. Those of you that show up here week in and week out and make sure we are community. Those of you that show up even though you feel like you have nothing to give or say or do. Those of you that challenge us those of you that encourage us, those of you that inspire us, those of you that support the lives and loves around you, you. You show me resurrection. You overwhelm me with its power. You support me with its unfathomable love. And you encourage me to practice resurrection in my own way. And I'll share with you my other story from my time in the Ukraine. 
Well, we hadn't actually technically gotten there yet. We were on a ferry on a day and a half journey across the Black Sea from Istanbul to Odessa. On board were the four of us Americans and a whole lot of Ukrainians and some Russians, none of which seemed to speak English. So for most of that leg of the journey, our relationship with our fellow travelers felt cordial and yet somewhat distant and separate. That morning, we went up to the top deck to look out over the Black Sea. We chatted up there for several minutes before I decided to go back down to our quarters. In a moment of silliness, I walked down the first couple steps, making a farting noise. Much to the amusement of my fellow travelers. <laughs> but then I looked down to see that the entire deck below, which moments ago had been completely empty, was now completely filled with Russians and Ukrainians sitting out in the sunshine, and all of them had definitely heard me. Now, this realization happened in a split second, and in that brief moment, I realized that I had a choice to make. I could try and walk down the rest of the flight of steps and go back to my room and act like nothing happened, or I could commit. 99.9% .9 of the time in my life, I would probably have just tried to play it off, but in that moment, the spirit moved, and I decided to commit. I walked the entire flight of stairs making ridiculous farting noises. <laughs> And when I got to the bottom of the steps, I turned the corner, walked to the door, opened it, went in, closed it, and waited. And there was a brief beat. And then, much to my delight, there was a roar of laughter across the deck that went on for way longer than I thought it warranted. It also felt like one of those moments that transcends language and culture. It was stupid and silly and childish. It didn't have the profundity of helping bring a new life into the world or laying the educational foundation for our hope for the future. But looking back, I count it as one of my best moments of truly living into practicing resurrection. I chose to play the fool. I chose to give up the scarcity of respectability I felt and leaned into the abundance of one of the greatest gifts God gave humanity, humor. And for a brief moment, 21 years ago, on the deck of a ferry in the middle of the Black Sea, a bunch of Ukrainians and Russians were bonded together with laughter. How do you practice resurrection in your own way? Like the Apostle Peter, where have you chosen to go back to what you know? And where have you listened to Christ? felt the movement of the Spirit, and leaned into the abundant grace and love of God. 
We live in a finite world with finite resources bound by the laws of science. And we are a resurrection people filled with infinite love, bound by the love of Christ.